I'm Catherine Kingsley. And I'm Catherine Stone. And this is Contemplating Culture, a missionary walk through a secular age. Together we journey through a secular age by Charles Taylor, a book looking at the history and philosophy of how the world got where it is and the impacts of our contemporary culture for us today as missionaries. And we're inviting you to join the conversation. Hello and welcome back to Contemplating Culture, where we continue our missionary meanderings through Charles Taylor's book, A Secular Age. So, so far we've been working our way through the introduction in a loose kind of conversational way. We began by talking about the marketplace and breaking open what it looks like to live in a secular age. That image of the church as just one option among many. Then we looked at, well, if that's what the world looks like, what is the goal in this secular age? And we had that image of the open door, that if the goal of our human life is human flourishing, a secular age assumes that that flourishing must happen before the end of human life. But for us Christians... While we might share that whole idea of human flourishing, the door is open and human flourishing extends and is found beyond that open door after death. Then last week we were looking at what it looks and feels like to be in that secular age and we had that image of coronavirus. You know, we all know that no two people seem to have exactly the same experience of coronavirus. People have different symptoms, different lengths of time that they're in isolation for. Even different strains. Yeah, Delta or Omicron. And we broke open all well, the different strains, I guess, of atheism, that no two journeys through atheism, through this secular age, look the same. In the same way, we can't assume that your experience of coronavirus is in any way the same as KK's experience. We can't assume that any two atheists share the same reasons for being an atheist, the same experience of being an atheist, or even the same pain points the same moments where they disengage and look around and suddenly notice the marketplace again. And that affects the way that we might journey with them. So KK, what are we looking at today? Yeah, so today we're wrapping up kind of the introduction of the book. So all of this has just been kind of giving little snippets of what's to come. Um, I'm really excited to kind of break this stuff open more. But today we're looking at the Eclipse of Transcendence. It's a look at, really briefly, just, I guess, the ways that we were connected to religion through transcendence and the ways that slowly each of those three connections has been eroded. And then now we're left with a situation where it's now possible to live exclusively for human flourishing. And Charles Taylor calls this exclusive humanism. So how transcendence has been eroded so that exclusive humanism, living entirely for human flourishing, becomes a possibility. So those three kind of connections are like a higher good. So for me as a human person, there's a goodness beyond me just having a really good life. That is that transcendence of me, me going beyond myself, me reaching out effectively in agape love, that just as Jesus didn't live like a human flourishing life, he lived an agape love life that through the cross and resurrection, he transcends human flourishing in the things you can see and touch. Like it doesn't make sense. And he could only do that for the second kind of level of transcendence through his relationship with the father, through a transcendent being. So the higher good for a higher power. And so all religion, no matter which religion you're talking about, has this 
transcendent figure or figures, um, that power that makes this transforming life possible. And then from that, it's for a place or a time that's beyond this life. So um, even, say, Buddhism has reincarnation. It's beyond the here and now. I'm working for something beyond the here and now. And so in Christianity, we have, you know, our eternal life with God in heaven. So over time and through a whole bunch of different factors that we're going to get into over the coming weeks and months, each of these slowly just erodes, that there's things that start to challenge them. And when the journey started out, it's not like anyone thought that it would end up with exclusive humanism. People didn't really think, uh, I'm, I'm choosing this option or I'm exploring this idea because it's going to lead me or people in hundreds of years' time to be an atheist. It's, it's this organic kind of thing that came about and it wasn't inevitable. It didn't have to go this way. And so I think sometimes as Christians we can get, I don't know, like really sad <laughs> And look at the world and think like, oh, people just don't know that there's a good that they could be working on besides the here and now. They don't have the joy of having a relationship with a higher power or having, you know, that strength and encouragement from God. And, you know, like it must be so sad and lonely to not be living for anything beyond you. Like we can have that and we can want to kind of take people back. But I think the whole point is that there is no going back. There's only going forward. So more than anything today, I think I'd just like to have a conversation about what that going forward might look like as missionaries, that we're not trying to necessarily reclaim something, but we're trying to bring about the newness of God in the here and now. Okay. So how do we, if you like, break in to people's world? How do we break into that? I think I was thinking fog almost that surrounds them of marketplace and say, hang on a minute, the world doesn't actually really look like this. There's there's more. We're just trying to kind of put forward the case of faith as within this imminent frame, this frame of things that are here and now that we can see and touch. Faith just becomes, you know, like one thing in a lineup among many things that everything is on a level plane. And honestly, in that plane, Christianity isn't even the best option a lot of the times. It only makes sense when we have a view of something beyond here. And so I think part of our work is then going to be about looking at ways of drawing people out of that space of everything being equal and the same and actually giving people an insight of something that's beyond the here and now. Yeah, so what I'm thinking is like a crow's nest or something, like we're lifting people up above the marketplace and showing them that there's a whole world out there, Mm. if you like. That's my kind of view of transcendence, if you like, that you kind of burst out of your bubble and realise that the bubble isn't all there is. Yeah, and it's, I don't know if you've seen, um, I know we have, but I don't know if the people listening have seen WandaVision, but it's kind of like that, it's like, Wanda's created this little force field over a little town. And for the people living in the town, that's all there is. They can't go anywhere else and everything in their life has to make sense within this little town. But then slowly you have these other characters breaking in, being like, ah, there's something more beyond this. Like, there's more than this. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, this is what makes sense of our life, right? That religious life, what is that if there is no more than the marketplace. Yeah. And I guess that's why some of the people around us react 
as they do to the very idea of vowing your life in poverty, chastity and obedience to a God that they've long since ceased to believe in or have any idea of. And it's quite confronting then, this idea that somebody would throw away their their life, their chance for human flourishing on something like that. That's a good point, Kat. Like maybe you could even talk us through a little bit more. I guess the way that consecrated life, consecrated religious life is meant to be um, kind of like the bonfire, (laughs) the big highlighting light that reminds all Christians of the transcendence that we're called to. Yeah. In fact, I remember very clearly learning as a novice this whole idea that that we were supposed to we're supposed to in our consecrated life be reminders of the resurrection that our life points to a life beyond this human life and I don't think it really clicked for me until one day I had to break open our vows for a bunch of school kids and I suddenly thought oh they must just see us as really weird (laughs) like here we are in a world that tells them that what's important is success independence and sex and money and here we are making vows of poverty and celibacy (laughs) and obedience like what kind of weirdos throw away all that human flourishing looks like so I remember talking to them and saying okay so you could probably look at what we're doing and think that's a really negative set of things to do like why would you do that And I said, well, the thing is that the whole of our life only makes sense in the context of a God who loves us and coming to know that God and his love for us. And when you look at it from a point of view of I'm responding in love to a God who loves me, then instead of poverty being all about a lack of money, poverty becomes a statement to the world that there is no thing on earth that can satisfy me like the love of God. And when you look at religious life through that lens of responding in love to a God of love, then celibacy becomes not about deprivation of sex, that beautiful good, but it becomes a statement to the world that there is no love here on earth that can satisfy my heart like the love of God. And when I look at consecrated life through that lens of response of love to a God of love, then obedience becomes not a a lack of freedom, but a free response to the love of God that that says that there is no way that will satisfy me apart from God's way, God's love for me. And I think when we break open religious life like that, I get inspired. It doesn't become just this thing that I live. It's this thing that I want to radiate to the world around me. And it makes sense as to why some people might talk about religious life as the beacons for the rest of the church, reminding us of what we're all on about that we're all meant to live lives in this marketplace that proclaim to those around us that the marketplace isn't all that there is. That there's this whole world out there full of beauty and goodness and truth that, that we're all called into. In fact, when, while you were talking, I was thinking, the Christian call, divination, called to participate in the, the Trinitarian love of God, the reason that that sounds so radical when I get up and preach it these days is because that's part of that erosion that you're talking about, that Charles Taylor talked about, that somewhere back through the ages, we lost consciousness of the hugeness and radical ridiculousness of what God gives us in our call. That it's not common in Christianity or for people to understand that what Christians are teaching is that we're called to participate in the life of God. We're called to divinization, to be God one day. That our call is 
it's not just transcendence in a nice kind of I'm going to become better than I am now. I'm going to become wholly other than I am now and not in my own strength. Yes, through God's power. But this is a ridiculous message. Yeah, it's, I think, so one of, I did a essay on the Holy Spirit when I was at uni and one of the things that really kind of captured my imagination was the idea of God as, you know, as Trinity, but then as the Holy Spirit, as the ecstasy of God, the the moving out of God to the other. And I think that maybe that's even part of why our order has come about. This this order in the last, in this culture that is proclaiming the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and breaks in, who breaks in through the human heart to remind us that there is a being that we can't see that we're called to be in relationship with and that that has real implications for the here and now. And it makes a whole lot of sense really then when you think about that timeline that we were talking about. I can't remember which week it was when we were talking about it. That whole idea that if we were talking 500 years ago, the supernatural would be just part of the the world as we know it. We yeah. wouldn't have that term supernatural. Yet now it's such a separate thing, the miraculous, the supernatural. We see that as different outside of the natural world. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a power in that for the proclamation of the gospel, I think, because the miraculous, the supernatural, what we experience as the charismatic, if you like, the fact that God speaks Mm -hmm. to me, the fact that God heals me and that his healing is beyond what a doctor could do, Mm -hmm. the fact that Jesus turns water into wine, feeds the 5,000, and these aren't just things that happened 2,000 years ago. These are things that real people around us see happening in the here and now that it's not just the apostles were witnesses to the resurrection of Mm -hmm. Jesus and it all stopped there but down through the ages of the church even to now yeah and especially since the 20th century explosion if you like of the church opening up to the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. there's lots of occasions of that breaking in and the power of that breaking in I guess in this secular age is that it's quite separate from the average person's experience of the normal Mm. or the natural. Yeah. It's very interesting because some people these days will say, you know, like if Jesus just came now, like if I could encounter Jesus now, like then I'd believe. And it's like, well, actually even people that were there when Jesus did come still didn't necessarily believe. And we had a beautiful homily today at mass where the priest was talking about how your eyes won't necessarily see what's in front of you unless the eyes of your heart are opened. And maybe that's part of the work that we're called to in evangelization is that sometimes these breaking in moments of God, we can discount or disregard because our heart's not yet opened to receive something like that. I think I was talking a couple of weeks ago about the man who I was talking with who had this encounter of something in the beyond, but he could then easily discount it because nothing in his world was kind of supporting that. That I think the more things we put in place to help people have the eyes of their heart opened, the more they're going to be able to see um, and be receptive when there are these moments of God kind of breaking in. And I think maybe this missionary 
movement starts in us that it's really easy for us to either normalize the supernatural that such that I talk to God, I listen to God, I forget to talk about it to you or open you up to that because it's just so normal in my life. Yeah. That I don't, I read stories every now and again of people who break that open for somebody else and help other people hear God speaking to them in a almost shocking kind of way. And I think, oh, am I called to do that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I know I am. But it, it doesn't occur to me because I've normalized in this secular world the privacy of that. Yeah. Wow. Mm. So maybe then there's something about testimony as well. Yeah. And the, the courage, the risk taking of someone tells me they've got a terminal illness. I just step out in faith and I pray for them. That kind of risk taking or I had an occasion the other day, actually, we as sisters had been working on being more open to God speaking to us for other people. And I'd been praying and said, okay, Lord, who do you want to talk to me about? And he'd given me this girl's name and I'd prayed and I said, well, what do you want to say? And I'd written it down in my journal and then I thought, that's too weird to just like cold call her and message her and tell her (laughs) that. I haven't seen her in a few years. So I didn't do anything with it. It just sat there in my journal. I ran into her maybe a whole year later the Mm -hmm. other week and she was asking for prayer so I prayed for her and I remembered while I was praying for her this I couldn't remember what God had said in this word but I told her about it and I said I'll take a photo of my journal page and I'll message it to you and I thought maybe that was God's timing but maybe not maybe I missed a moment to break into her life a whole year earlier Mm -hmm. with the fact that God loved her and saw her and had dreams and plans for her life that maybe she wasn't aware of at that stage or space in her life Mm. there's something about that isn't there that just the way that we can allow the world around us to normalize that as normal (laughs) normalize the imminence the any any breaking in of god into the world should be private like keep keep that to yourself keep it in maybe one-on-one conversations kind of thing but don't it's it's almost grotesque (laughs) For, for a public miracle, you yeah. know, to any kind of public proclamation of the supernatural. Yeah, just we kind of cringe at. Even even as like full card-carrying Catholics, we still kind of cringe at that. And yeah. I don't know, I'd, I'd love to see that change. I wonder, I was thinking, does faith give us a cherry picker that, you know, lifts us up? above the marketplace so that we've actually got a view. And then I was thinking, no, well, yes, but there's something more about the way that we lift each other up or hold each other up above the level of the marketplace. I can't come up quite with an image of it, but there's something about us like creating a culture together that at least holds all our heads above mm. so that we we do live in the marketplace. That's the world around us. But I don't know, maybe we have a periscope or something <laughs> that enables us to see more. But there's something about church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what, there was a um, one of my high school principals, he had about three kind of talks that he would like rotate through every three <laughs> years. So he'd be like, oh yeah, this is the that one. So one of one of his talks was, on um, like the flying V of the swans. And he would talk about, you know, how they take different turns at the front 
And, and maybe it's something about that, something about actually the weight of the world at the moment is such that if one person went out on their own trying to stay in that space, they just couldn't do it. And maybe it is about a community taking turns, highlighting the transcendent things that are happening and then, you know, like letting someone else take the weight of the burden for a while. Like maybe it's something about that, the, the shifting movement of moving together but not always having to carry the brunt of the burden of that opening up to to the higher. Like, even though we know that it's there, I think you're right. I think we do need each other in this, particularly in this movement of time. Yeah, it's just exhausting if you're trying to do it all by yourself. Absolutely. And I was thinking also, too, that there's something we've got to remember, even in our discussing of the Holy Spirit, being the agent of that, that like I can kick myself for not remembering before I go out on a ministry thing to pray beforehand and see if there's anything God wants to say or not thinking in that moment of praying for that person when they're telling me of their terminal illness or whatever it is. But when I'm open to the Holy Spirit, when I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to show me that those things, then I have to rely that the Holy Spirit is actually active and reminding me as well. And there's maybe our role in each other's lives isn't so much to verbally do or say things. It's to remind each other to, you know, be the transcendent witness so much as to remind each other to be open to the Spirit mm-hmm. in that. So this is this is the end of the introduction. From From our next point, we're going to start moving through the ideas and I know that we've moved around ideas a lot but moving on from here he kind of spends a lot of time looking at one idea if that makes sense so we'll kind of rather than going very broad and looking at um, lots of different things we'll kind of go deeper into the ideas and I'm, I'm really excited for that too. Awesome me too. So this podcast is contemplating culture and I know that we have a lot of discussions and conversations and we really want you to be having conversations as well because I think this stuff only gets worked out in relationship with other people but I thought we might just take take stock take a moment at the end of I just decided this but at the end of each chapter maybe we'll just take stock of of where we're going and I'd love to just lead you in a little little time of prayer and reflection just to think about yeah where where the call is for you at the moment and it might be trying to remember those moments of transcendence in your life that really remind you that there is something bigger than this time and place. There is a person that you can't see that wants to be in relationship with you and that gives a call for transcendence on your life more than just flourishing here and now, but that kind of self-giving love. Um, So wherever you are, just make yourself comfortable. So we pray just come Holy Spirit, come ecstasy of God break into our hearts from within, feel our body, our hearts, our minds, help us just to be open to receiving whatever it is you would want us to receive during this time. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that firstly you would remind us of something that connects us to our call to love, our call to go beyond human flourishing, 
in the things that we can see and taste and touch. But a time, a person, something that reminds us of that call to go beyond ourselves, to really move in agape love. And we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would remind us, give us an encounter with, we're hungry, we're desperate to know something of the transcendent God. That higher power, you, the Trinity, the three persons who hold our very life in your hands. And we thank you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would remind our being of the call in our life to live beyond the time and place of this life. Whether it be our storing up of riches in heaven, our connection to loved ones that we no longer see, our connection to you waiting for us when we meet death. Give us a sense of that. And as you come, Lord, we pray that the cloud hanging over the imminent, the here and now, would start to lift, that it would dissipate, that we would start to see with clarity and perspective. Lord, we just acknowledge that to continue to stay in this state of mind is hard work and we need you and we need those that you place us in relationship with and so we call on your spirit to strengthen us, to continue to lift our gaze, to continue to clear the fog that might surround us. And we pray as well for wherever you planted us, whoever those other people are that you want us to be journeying with, that we would be in a community, that we would be sharing the load together and sharing the joys together. And together we would help each other have our gaze lifted beyond the things that we can see and hear and touch and not let ourselves be penned in by the imminent frame of the world. We pray, Lord, that we would continue to stay open to your ecstasy.
to the moments when your love breaks into our hearts, into our world. Amen. So thank you, friends, for listening to our conversation today. And I pray that it's blessed you. And we pray that, yeah, you continue to um, to share it around with others. We're also really open to any, any questions or comments you have. So feel free to get in contact um, with us if, if there's things we really want to engage. Because uh, like, like I was saying, I think this is something that needs to be worked out in relationships. So blessings, blessings on you until next time. This has been Contemplating Culture, a podcast produced by the Missionaries of God's Love Sisters. For more information from today's episode, be sure to check out the show notes. We pray that today has blessed you. And most importantly, we invite you to continue the conversation. <laughs>